Thank you for uh, joining us on this uh, Seattle morning. As I grew up in Seattle, and um, oftentimes when people um, experience the rain and the clouds and they get sad, it makes me happy. And uh, it also gives me an excuse to uh, lay in bed and watch crime documentaries. Um, I don't know why people don't do that more. I really, I really like, uh, I love eating in bed with my wife and watching crime documentaries, especially when it's, uh, when it's raining like this. You say, why'd you tell us that, Ryan? I have no idea. I just did. I just, I just did, and Aaron's probably like, please don't do that again. Um, friends, just a few announcements that, uh, before we get into uh, the passage this morning. Just a few announcements. One, um, uh, the women are going to begin to gather here in, in our space on Thursday evenings, and it's going to be uh, bi-weekly Thursday nights starting at 6.30, and it'll be uh, here, and it'll probably meet in the, the front room up there, and, and they're going to be getting to work through First and Second Thessalonians, and so we um, uh, implore you, uh, encourage you, uh, enter into some sort of rhetorical arm wrestling to try and convince you that it would be good for you to uh, come and gather around the, uh, the Word of God. And it is the title in which the theme is While We Wait. And so we encourage all of you to come. And then this sounds so much more pious. The ladies are going to be gathering around uh, First and Second Thessalonians. And the men on the 24th are going to Odd Story for a pub night. So there you go. Um, Odd Story, the new one right over here. Uh, on the 24th at 7 o'clock, we're just going to gather and um, um, have, have time of fellowship. And then uh, the men have been continuing to meet on uh, Monday mornings here in the space and working through the minor prophets. And so if you have any questions about that, you can ask Griffin over there in the corner, and uh, he'll give you more information about that. Uh, friends, years ago, I, we, we were living in New York, and um, I was a uh, pastoral intern, became an assistant pastor uh, at a church that um, Tim Keller started many, 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 many years ago, and um, it morphed into its own church of five different churches and one network, and it was a wonderful time for growth and uh, for me and to be reformed and what it meant to be a pastor, and, and especially in an urban setting. And uh, one of the requirements that was for, for, for me in that, in that time was to come up with a working definition of what a disciple is, and then what a disciple is going to be for 
for the network in New York, and this is something that we we're going to use. And when you begin to think about what is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it, 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 uh, there's so many things that can be said. And so I had a, uh, many, many drafts. I, I think the first sentence I, I had had like 97 words in it and with a lot of semicolons. And they're like, this is way too much. And, and so I started whittling it down more and I started gathering with some, um, some other pastors and began to work, uh, work through it. And what we came up with ultimately was a disciple is a follower of Jesus who by grace and practice is learning from him how to live. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who by grace and practice is learning from him how to live. And it took many hours for us to uh, come up with that concept, that idea, uh, with such clarity. And uh, it's benefited me uh, for many years. And every year, typically what we do is we just kind of, it's a new year, it's a new start. And so we just want to kind of rethink what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to follow him in 21st century, living in where we are and what we're doing? And today, we're going to look at a few passages and ask that question. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, who is indeed our rock and redeemer. Uh, God, we are thankful for your presence by your Holy Spirit. Uh, thank you that he is here to heal and to restore and to reveal. Uh, help us to see Jesus. Something happens to the human heart when we see him for who he is. So reveal who he is to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, friends, one of the first uh, quotes that I remembered and heard from uh, Tim Keller, which I feel is for a Reformed person, a Presbyterian, uh, is like a bar mitzvah. It's like uh, when you remember a quote from Tim Keller, uh, that's a good day. And so this is the one that I remembered, uh, the first ones that I read. He said this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. I'm going to say that one more time. If your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Something that you and I, as followers of Jesus, have to square with, have to understand, have to accept, have to know, is that Christ's entrance into his, in the world, his life, his resurrection, his ascension, everything from the moment that he arrived, from the minute that he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, has and was a complex intrusion in life. It was an intrusion on people. They weren't asking for him, he came. And with that, there was all sorts of implications that it has. God entered into the world, we have to respond. Mark chapter 8 um, is, if you have your Bible or uh, app on your phone, we're going to kind of look through it at Mark chapter 8. I didn't get a chance to pull it, put it into the bulletin, but Mark chapter 8 verse 34 says, when Jesus is talking to a crowd of people, he says this, if anyone wants to be a follower, my follower, they must give up their own way, take up their cross and follow me. Follower, follow, follower, follow. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if 
you give up your life for the sake of the good news of the gospel, it will, you will save it. Whatever you do, what does, it gain, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world but lose their soul? Is anything worth your soul? John Stott, a spooky smart theologian, says this, we must allow Jesus' life through the word of God to confront us, to disrupt our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns and thought and behavior. Confront, disturb, undermine, overthrow. Words that we don't typically like to use or to think about. Uh, his birth was offensive to the, 21st, to the first century people. He came as a virgin. He came through a virgin. His message, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, if you look on a woman in a heart with, uh, with lust, you've committed adultery. Love your enemies. Many are called, but few are chosen. You can't serve God and money. That was intrusive and offensive. His death, his life, his resurrection, his kingdom to not, is a kingdom not to be established by violence or, or war, but a kingdom that is going to be established by mercy, grace, and love. That, is, that was offensive. They didn't understand. His claims, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am God. His ethics about sexuality and marriage and power and money all controversial, all difficult to understand. His relationships that he had with tax collectors and drunks and prostitutes, all offensive. They did not understand why are you eating with these people? Why are you sharing life with these people? Why are you sharing your table with them? His challenge to the powerful him speaking against the powers it be his grace in whom he offered it and to how it came that it wasn't going to be er uh, that it couldn't be earned all of that was controversial all of that was intrusive all of it was misunderstood his life the gospel stumbling blocks Him telling us over and over again through the scriptures that we cannot have a relationship with Jesus and his church on our terms. It must be his terms. Yet Romans chapter 8 tells us that you and I as followers of Jesus were called and predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Earlier in the passage, Paul says, a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, we have an obligation. We have an obligation not to live in the flesh, to live according to it, but to live in the spirit, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Then if you do that, you are my follower. Then if you do that, you will live. As a follower of Jesus, just believing is not enough. Because we can say over and over again, I love him, I follow him. We have obligations in how we live. On how we treat people and how we interact with the world and how we respond. We have an obligation. That is why is learning from him how 
to live. C.S. Lewis says this, in the same way the church exists for only nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make into little Christs. That's what we do. I would not suggest going around talking to yourself that you're a little Christ. It could be weird. I wouldn't do that. Hello, my name is Ryan. You can also call me little Christ. I would not do that. But Lewis is right. This is the, the function of the church, to become like Christ, to live as he did. But here's the thing, and here's what's, what makes it difficult, is that our society and our culture is so much better at discipling people. It is so much better at discipling people, so much so that at times you can walk into a church and it's hard to discern whether it's the world or if it's the church because they learn very well how to disciple, how to form and how to shape us. They use the power. Listen, friends, culture uses society, uses the power to transform how we think human behavior all the time. And what culture does is it sets up, friends, an ideal. This, this thing right here. This is now good. This is now what you want. This is the good thing now. And then uses their power, uses their influence to disciple us to think that. This is the thing now. This is the one I've set up. This is the ideal. This is it. And then what happens is, once that thing is established, culture rewards you for following in line. Culture accepts you and says, okay, you accept the ideal, we accept you. You accept the thing that we put up on the platform and that we've elevated and shine lights down on and says it's a good thing, now you're accepted. But what happens when you don't accept? What happens when you look at that and say, that's not my ideal. That's not mine. That's not what I want. Well, you're no longer accepted and rewarded. You are rejected. You're isolated. You're hated. You're despised. You're put on the fringes. You're attacked. Even punished. And currently, culture, friends, right now is anti-Jesus. It is very anti-Jesus. Well, you say, maybe not in Chattanooga in our little city, but at least the way it's anti is they're indifferent. Do what you're going to do, but it has no bearing on me. Do what you need to do, but I don't care. But in other places in which we exist, there's very hostile toward Christ. And then we are relegated to think that you're bigoted and angry and hateful and non-inclusive if you follow those ways and if you follow that person. And so therefore, we're going to reject you. Therefore, we're going to keep you away. Therefore, you're going to be isolated. Therefore, you cannot be a part. You will not be rewarded. You will not be, like, you're not holding to the ideals that we have set before you. So a couple of things that you and I have to understand as followers of Jesus is that if we are going to continue to be disciples, if we are going to follow him, we have to understand that the life in which you and I live is one that is conformed to Christ and is a life of self-denial, of not living our own way. 
that in and of itself is offensive and difficult. It's offensive, it's intrusive, it's, 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 it's hard to understand because you and I live in a culture of self-fulfillment and they cannot comprehend and they do not understand a vision of life that is good if it doesn't involve getting whatever you want. Now, this doesn't mean, friends, that we constantly deny ourselves of food that tastes good. I like food that tastes good. It doesn't mean that we never, never drink a cocktail again. I like cocktails, but it, may, it might mean something for some. But what it means is, is that we're denying ourselves of going our own way. We don't go our own way. We don't get to choose our own way. We lay down our own way. Jesus says, if you are going to be my disciple, you cannot go your own way. But that's difficult when, and we understand this, and we feel this tension, and we feel the weight of it, when the primary voice of society tells us, well, you need to fulfill yourself. The ideal, the good, the thing that you want is fulfill yourself in everything. Yourself first. Make yourself happy first and foremost and all of the time. To say no to self and to follow the ways of Jesus, that's offensive. One of the most difficult challenges, at least it's been for, for me at times as, as, as a parent, is, is getting your children to eat what is good for them. What, what is good for them. Because my kids, even though at, at two, three, four, five, six, seven, Abby, geez, uh, I, I, all, she, all she wants is sugar. All she wants is sugar. I was like, eat a raspberry and I'll give you a popsicle. One raspberry. Just eat one raspberry and that will equal one popsicle. No. Oh, you're so cute. Have the popsicle. I don't care. It's like... Seth, bless him, bless him. I think that's why he's so big. If you've seen my Seth's son, Seth, he looks like this, and then Isaac kind of looks like this. Uh, it's like twins, the old movie, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Uh, Seth got all the good genes. Um, I think one of the reasons why he's grown so much is he takes after Aaron's side of the family, and they're just giants, they're big people. Um, but also Aaron prepped his food, like everything, like made his own baby food, you know, breastfed until, you know, even beyond a year, but, but, but gave him his own baby food. And she would, we, went, we went through like four or five bullets in that one year, just like grinding it up, making it. And I mean, it was full of like flaxseed and, and kale and just like all the stuff that even she's like tasted. I was like, no, this is horrible. And the, and the kid was eating it. They're just eating it. And then for his first birthday, we gave him a cake. And this was, like, this was a proper cake, right? Jammed full of sugar. And we sat him down, and he, he, he didn't know what to do with it, but he, so he just kind of was looking, and we still have it on video, and he took it, and he put it in his mouth, and he went, bam! I mean, whole face, just like, whole face again, and just was like, mm, like that. Kid didn't know what hit him. Um, so I don't. 
And I know, friends, I know that currently, right now, in this, in this moment, if I gave my children whatever they wanted, they'd love me more. They would love me more. Christmas, this is the best Christmas of my life. Why? Because I got everything. I know, I know. How about Jesus came to earth? Yeah, it's awesome, but I got my toys. I know. But you and I know that to follow Jesus, he knows as a father and we know as parents, to love requires to lead them to places of flourishing and things that are good and right, not necessarily things that they want. See, and when the church exists, when a group of people exists to only offer what people want and their preferences and to make them happy, they're not following Jesus. They're not following Jesus. It's a life of self-denial because the reward is Christ. The reward is Christ in his life. Another Lewis quote says, I don't go to Jesus to make me happy. I know a bottle of port would do that. I love the honesty of that. If you want religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I love the truth of that. The honesty. Richard Rohr, the theologian, says, for followers of Jesus, they embraced five essential truths that somehow life springs, flourishing comes from it. And these five essential truths is life is good, but life is hard. Number one, life is good, but life is hard. Number two, you are not that important. Number three, your life is not all about you. Number four, you are not in control. Number five, you're gonna die. And somehow embracing that truth, flourishing springs, real life begins to come. Did you guys, have you noticed that as you've read the scriptures, as you see things, themes in the Bible, every time the Bible talks about a relationship with God following him, you can almost put it under the heading, the one who follows. A shepherd, a sheep to shepherd, one who follows. A servant to a king, one who follows. A child to a father, one who follows. As a matter of fact, if Christians uh, before Antioch were not known as Christians, they were known as the way because of the way that they lived, the practices that they had. And if you've ever wondered, friends, like I have wondered, especially at the beginning of the year when you're beginning to recalibrate and rethink what you need to do and what does God want from me or maybe possibly you're, 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 you're terrified about the future and what it might hold because double dip recession and things are not looking that great or you might be this morning feeling like uh, an emotional prison and you wonder what do I need to do? How do I get the way out of it? You can always return to this beautiful two words. Follow me. Follow me. So much of our unhappiness, so much of our restlessness so much of our discontentment, bewilderment, comes from you and I following our own voices. Comes from you and I carving out our own way. It comes from you and I seeking to live out solely out of our understanding, our own understanding. 
So much of our unhappiness comes from pride, and yet Jesus continues to come to us over and over again, saying, I am God, I am good, I know the plans that I have for you, and they're good plans. Follow me. Follow me. Now, friends, this doesn't mean that everything that happens in our life is going to be good, but what it does mean that God will use whatever happens in our lives for our good if we keep following him. Follow me. Matter of fact, the last words that Jesus says to Peter in John's amazing gospel, John chapter 21, it is this amazing passage and John where he tells Peter essentially the last words are, you follow me. Peter was doing what you and I do all the time. I know myself do. Peter was looking at someone else's life and saying, what about that life? What, what about what they have? What about the circumstances and situations that they have been given? He was comparing his life to someone else's. And Jesus finishes by saying to Peter, your life is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It will be good. But you don't worry about that. You just follow me. And then Peter looks at someone else and says, but what about them? What about that life? I want that life. I don't understand. And Jesus essentially says, that he, looking at John, the beloved, saying that, he said basically his story, his life, all of those things, those are my business, not yours. Are you going to follow me? Isaiah chapter 42, 16 says that I will lead you by the ways that are not known. Among unfamiliar paths, I will guide you. I will turn darkness into light before you. I will make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do and I will not forsake you. Resurrection, are we gonna follow him? He says, follow me because I will lead you on a road that you cannot see and I will guide you. I will lead you. It might be dark right now, but one day I will make it light. I will make the rough and rocky places, the hard places to navigate. I'm going to make them smooth, and I'm going to make them level. Follow me, though. Whatever you're going through, God says that he will lead you out. One condition, do we follow him? Not only is this a life of self-denial and it's a life of following, but it's also, friends, a life of radical grace, as I'm closing. Radical, beautiful, overwhelming grace. Grace is the kind that we cannot change ourselves or do anything to justify ourselves. We are completely dependent upon him and his power, a power that outside of us to set us free to guide us and to lead us. Friends, this is grace. We can't affect the grace of God. We can't control it, but we can respond to it. One of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, he says this in his book called All of Life is Grace. He says, my message is unchanged for more than 50 years. It is this, 
God loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be, because nobody's is as they should be. And the message of grace is a message that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5. It is a grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal reeking of sin and wraps his arms around and decides to throw him a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. It is a grace that is indiscriminate compassion. Oh, I love that. Indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient even if we huff and we puff with all of our might and try to fight, find something or someone that cannot cover it. Grace is enough. Jesus is enough. Friends, this is why we follow. We follow, we obey, because he lavishes upon us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And so the question this morning is, do you believe that Jesus loves you beyond your worthiness and your unworthiness? Do you believe that he loves you beyond your fidelity and your infidelity? Do you believe he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain? Do you believe that he loves you when, you when your intellect denies it, when your emotions refuse it, or when your whole being rejects it? Do you believe he loves you? Do you believe that God loves you without condition or reservation, friends? This is why we follow, because he does. He does. And friends, this is why you and, able, you and I are able to come to this table. It's because of that grace, because of that love, to remind us of our communion with him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have called us, just as you looked at Philip, just as like you looked at John, just as, look, as like you looked at Peter. You said, come, follow me. Come, taste and see that I am good. Come and see the life that I have for you. And Lord, we are thankful that you have called us, each and every one of us individually by name, calling us to yourself. And Father, we are thankful for that grace and help us to continue on that path of grace as we live life with you, seeking to follow you wherever you lead. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.